actually a little less than a month now, we're going to be doing a, a satellite evangelistic program with 3ABN uh, called Heroes of Faith. And uh, it will be uplinking from Lansing, Michigan. This is going to be kind of a combination of amazing adventure and an evangelistic meeting. It's sort of a family-friendly evangelistic program for 10 days, have some neat things for the kids and stories that they can relate to, as well as hopefully good theology for the adults. So pray October 2nd through the 10th. If you uh, watch AFTV or 3ABN, you'll see it there. Thank you. It's a delight to be here and to be with you. And following the program tonight, or following our closing prayer, Karen and I will be at the Amazing Facts table. We'll be happy to visit with you in there because there's less grass. And uh, that's a good thing. Can I pray with you real quick? My message won't be long, but uh, I want the Lord to do through His Spirit in um, depth what we might lack in length. Father in heaven, we just have come together. We're focusing on the supreme theme of Jesus and the cross. And I pray, Lord, that Christ can be exalted in what is said here, that hearts and lives will be touched and transformed for the better. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh... I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I've often read these words of Paul and thought how I would like to have that experience where I can say it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. Anyone else out there? Wouldn't you like to really be able to say, I know it's not I that live, but Christ is living out his life in me. As the song we sing, live out thy life within me. O Jesus, King of Kings. You know, I think it would be a missed opportunity this week when we've come together to talk about Christ, our righteousness, and being crucified with Christ without taking a few moments to talk about someone who actually was crucified with Christ. You know, the Bible says Jesus wasn't crucified alone. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me. It only appears in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, the story of the thieves on the cross. And... Uh, in this passage, uh, there's just some very valuable uh, lessons, I think. Verse 39, Luke chapter 23, verse 39. Now, you know, Jesus was on the cross seven hours. It's interesting. Six hours alive, one hour resting, one hour dead. Early in the day of the crucifixion, when he was initially crucified, both thieves engaged in kind of uttering implications and, and deriding him and calling out for help. But as time went by, the Holy Spirit began to work on one of those individuals. And this is where our story takes up. Then one of the criminals, verse 39, who were hanged or crucified, blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. Why would that be blasphemy? One word makes all the difference, a two-letter word. When the devil appeared to Jesus in the wilderness, he did not appear, I don't think, as that monster, some hideous half-human, half-animal with red leotards and a goatee. 
And he didn't plop on the ground and say, I've got a proposition, turn those stones into bread. Who would you'd never listen to anybody looking like that. He appeared as an angel of the Lord, but he betrayed who he was when he said, if you are the Son of God. Father came to Jesus and said, Lord, my son's been vexed by the devil, if you can do anything. And Jesus caught on that word, and he said back to the man, if you believe, all things are possible. If is not a good word with Jesus. He said, if you're the Christ, save yourself and us. If he had said, you are the Christ, that would have been different. But the other answering rebuked him. There must have also been something in the tone of his voice where there was some sarcasm there. And, and the other thief picking that up, I mean, here they're having a conversation. Three of them are talking together on the cross with all the mob listening. The other answered and rebuked him, saying, do you not even fear God? seeing you're under the same condemnation. Here you are being crucified with Christ and, and you're mocking, you're being sarcastic. Notice what he said. We indeed justly, for we receive the due reward for our deeds. Wow. You know, if you go to a prison, I've done some prison ministry and an awful high percentage of people in prison will say, well, I didn't really do anything. Um... This man was confessing, we are getting what we deserve. He's publicly repenting and confessing. Indeed, justly, we receive the due, the appropriate reward for our deeds. You know there's a day coming when every man is going to be justly awarded according to what he deserves. But this man has done nothing wrong. So as Pilate said, I find no fault in him. And then he turned to Jesus and he prayed a short prayer. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, I don't know if you realize how profound that prayer really was because Jesus did not look like he had a kingdom to offer anybody that day. And hanging there, bleeding and bruised and battered, naked completely, if not at least partially, uh, to call him a king... And to call him Lord just seemed very out of place. Holy Spirit did something in the mind of that thief where he was able to look beyond what everyone else sees and through the eyes of faith he saw this is the Messiah. Who even when his own disciples forsook him saying we thought he was going to be the one to redeem Israel, something happened in the mind of this thief. Being crucified with Christ changed him. And he said, Lord, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. This is an important study because of the answer Jesus gives. He said, I tell you assuredly, I'm telling you, this day, you will be with me in paradise. How many of you would like to have the Lord say to you, assuredly, you will be with me in paradise? Amen. Everyone's looking for assurance. How'd you like to have that kind of assurance from Jesus? Assuredly, you will be with me in paradise. Well, I can answer how it's possible, friends. Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me, and you'll be in the kingdom of heaven. Now, when you take up your cross and follow Jesus, where did Jesus take his cross? To his crucifixion. A year and a half ago, I was in the Philippines. I've, I've been there three or four times now, and... Um, 
Karen and Nathan were with me on this trip, and it just happened to overlap Easter. And we were wanting to, you know, capture some. Some of you saw some of the amazing facts of faith that are getting up there now on the Internet. We have fun recording these. And uh, we heard that there was a town not too far from Manila where they sort of reenact the scenes of the crucifixion. And I, frankly, had mixed feelings about whether or not to go. But um, I thought, you know, we should take our, our recording equipment and we should go. There might be some footage or a story or something that would be redemptive. And so we went to this place, and I can't remember the name, Sanford. Do we have any Filipinos in the house? Yes, what is it? San Fernando, yeah, that's what I thought. And um, they, they established, not the San Fernando Valley. It's, this is a different one. And a long time ago, I guess some Jesuits were there, and he praised the people for reenacting the persecution. And we saw the men going up the street, flogging themselves bloody. Our cameraman was following them, and he had plenty of space, and he actually lends blood splashed up on the, on the camera lens at one point. It is a grisly business. And then they had several people lined up to be crucified. And they got, it's, you know, I've never seen anything like that, I can tell you. They, it's a festival. People come from around the world. There were cameramen from, um, I mean, major news agencies. Our cameraman, because he had a pass, a press pass, they let us in where the cameras go, right up next to this place where they crucify people. Folks are in the stands, they're selling ice cream and T-shirts. I mean, really? It was an event to come watch these people, and there are people that volunteer themselves, and they, they put some alcohol swabs on their hands, and they actually nail them to a cross and raise them into position. And I had one man, before he was about to be crucified, the media guy said, wait, wait, we've got to fix his microphone. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. And they went over and they put his microphone on because they wanted to hear him yell when he got crucified. I wasn't so sure we should have brought... Nathan with us, he was 17 at the time, and, and he was very troubled by it. Um, and it was a very sanitary crucifixion compared to what Jesus went through, stainless steel nails, their paramedics are right there watching, they just leave you up there for a second, they take you down, they walk, rush you off, they dress you up. That's not what they did with Jesus. Um, Crucifixion was designed to extract as, as much suffering as you could po possibly get from a victim. And I remember watching, I'll never forget uh, the first time, the first man, that they, when they drove the nails in his hand, to hear him yell. It was so primal and it was so real that it just transported you back in time. And I wasn't expecting that. I was trying to look at it from scientific eyes, thinking about what sermon illustration, I guess I'm using one today. But uh, it had an unexpected effect on me because I knew whatever I saw that day, um, the mob, the spectators, they had government officials that had bleacher seats so they could have a front row view to come watch someone be crucified. You know, we're a long way from the days in our country where they had public executions, but they used to. People would come, it was a spectacle. They'd watch a hanging... They watched somebody killed by a firing squad. And it uh, seems like it, it attracts a crowd. I think it was Winston Churchill after he got done speaking one day and he had 5,000 people come in England to gather and to 
hear him give a speech and someone said to him after, uh, Mr. Churchill, it must be rather inspiring to see 5,000 people would come to listen to you give a speech. He said, that's nothing. Hundreds of thousands would come to watch me hang. (laughs) And that's how it was that day. There was a mob there and most people were mocking Jesus and the disciples stood off at a distance. But this man... He figures, what have I got to lose? I'm dying. I don't care whether people see that I'm trusting in Jesus. I don't care what they think of me. Have you ever been afraid to witness for Jesus because it's awkward or what will people think? You know, when you're crucified with Christ, you don't care what people think anymore. When you're dead, you cannot be insulted. I've been to a lot of funerals where people said all kinds of things. And you know, you've got to be careful. When you're pastoring and you're doing a funeral, you've got to try and keep a handle on it because... Sometimes a family says, we're going to open up the mics in case anybody wants to say anything about the person who's passed away. Sometimes it's beautiful and touching, and sometimes it's really awkward. <laughs> and, uh, but no matter what is said, I've never seen the person in the coffin react in any way. <laughs> they really don't care what you say. They are not moved by praise, and they're not offended by scorn. They're dead. And you know, one reason we sometimes are easily offended is because we are not yet crucified with Christ. Paul said, I have learned to live in whatever state I'm in. It could be Oklahoma, California, any state. Whatever state, that's a bad joke. Whatever state I'm in. (laughs) I've learned to be content. Because when you're crucified with Christ, you can't be offended. And this thief was crucified with Christ. There are two of them that were crucified with Christ that day. We all fit into that picture of the scenes around the cross. They represent the two great classes of people. One on his right hand, the Bible says, and one on his left. Now, I can't prove it, but I think that the one saved was on his right hand. I draw that from the parable of the sheep and the goats. I know it doesn't specifically say that. I can't prove it, but you can't prove I'm wrong, so I say it. But it was a sign of favor that the right hand usually represented a sign of favor. And then you got the left hand. One is saved, one is lost. Those two thieves represent all the classes of people. And there, were, there was an audience of that judgment and that execution, execution. They were both guilty of rebellion, murder, and stealing. The Bible says they were thieves. In other places it says they're guilty of murder, insurrection, It's also true they could do nothing to save themselves. And you and I can do nothing to save ourselves. They were helpless. But they both had an opportunity to be saved. They were just a matter of a few feet away. They were within speaking distance of their creator who could save them. Can you imagine how sad it's going to be in the judgment where that thief on the left, he comes up out of his grave and he finds out, oh, he was the Messiah. And all I had to do was ask him. And he was 10 feet away from me. I was 10 feet away from eternal life. And I mocked him. Well, I've got news for you. He's not far from any one of you. The Bible says that he's not far from any of us. He is nigh unto you and the word is in your mouth. God is only a prayer away. They were both helpless. They could do nothing to save themselves. They had to look. Now, the thief on the right, he's saved. He went through all the steps of salvation. He said, first of all, 
He recognized the Lord. You know what the first step is in being saved? You need to see God. In the year the king Isaiah died, I saw the Lord. He saw the Lord lifted up. Jesus said, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men. What do you think Christ was talking about? As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, Christ was lifted up because by being crucified for the sins of the world, he was neutralizing the venom of the serpent, the devil. We have all been stung by that serpent. Back in the days of Moses, when they were bit by the serpent, if they looked at this bronze serpent, lifted up. So you know, shepherds, they carried a staff. And when they had venomous snakes, they would kill the snake. But I used to, when I lived in the hills right here, a lot of rattlesnakes, I had a snake stick. I didn't look like Moses carrying it around, but I had a stick just for snakes. And when I ran into a rattlesnake, I would clobber it, and then I would pick it up with the stick and carry it away because even after a snake is badly wounded, you might think they're dead. You grab it with your hand, they'll surprise you. Even after they're dead, you can step on the skeleton of a rattler's head, and if you get punctured by their teeth, the venom can still hurt you. And so shepherds would take it off, and they would bury it. And so for a shepherd, when they saw a serpent on a pole, it represented a defeated serpent. That meant a shepherd had killed a snake and he was taking it off for burial. Christ lifted up for us, represented the death of the sin. He was neutralizing the power of the devil over us. And he says, whoever looks unto me, as Moses lifted up, all they had to do is look and believe. Christ said, if you believe, what did that thief do to be saved? Did he keep very many Sabbaths that we know? Not after he came to Christ. What kind of diet did he have? Well, we know he wasn't going to movies. I mean, you could talk about you know, all the things we typically think of as deeds of righteousness, but let's just make one thing really clear. He was not saved by good works that he had done. He was saved by looking to Christ in faith and asking. He was justified. Now, I like to just wonder sometimes, what if, by some quirk of coincidence, Pilate had changed his mind and said, look, well, that other thief, well, why don't you just take him off the cross and let him go? After Jesus said, you're going to be with me in paradise, I forgive you, would he have been different when he came off the cross? He'd probably go get baptized for one thing. Hadn't been baptized yet. Probably start worshiping with other believers. You know, there actually was somebody who kind of went through that in that Jesus didn't die on his own cross. He realized he died on the cross of Barabbas. So what would it be like to be Barabbas? The Bible doesn't say what happened. There's a lot of fables written about it. But can you imagine standing by Jesus? You know that there's a cross that is designed for you. You're guilty, you're condemned, you're dying. And then Pilate says, which one do you want? Do you want Barabbas? You get pulled out of the cell by the Romans and there's this mob there and you're wondering what's going on. You see Jesus, you've heard about him. And Pilate says, who do you want, Barabbas or Jesus? And last thing in the world you expect is to get elected. And the crowd says, at the prompting of those demon-filled mobs, give us Barabbas, crucify Jesus. And the soldier comes over and he cuts your ropes and he says, you know that cross we were whittling for you? He's going to die on your cross. That's really our experience, isn't it? Jesus said, I'm going to take your place. Would you be different if you found out that he died for your sins? Would that touch your heart? Would that make you want to be different? Would that make you want to avoid doing anything that would put you on another cross? 
Would you want to negotiate with the guard and say, tell you what, I'll do half the crucifixion, he does half the crucifixion. Nail one of my hands and one of his hands. You know, Christ either takes it all or he doesn't take it at all. He took all the suffering. He completely forgave him. You and I are like Barabbas. We were released. But Barabbas was preparing for crucifixion. So what brought about the conversion of this thief? Well, he saw Jesus lifted up. He believed. He confessed. He repented. He asked. And because he believed, he had faith. Those are things that all of us can do. You know, I wonder, something transpired that day that changed that man. And we can only speculate, but that man was there when he heard Pilate say, I find no fault in him. That started working on him. When Christ was being crucified, you know they say that when you're dying or there's some emergency, your senses are heightened. And they were wrestling this thief, both the thieves, to the ground and they're crucifying them. And he hears Jesus saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He's praying for the ones who are crucifying him. And then after Jesus is on the cross for a while, he hears the mob mocking him, and maybe he hears a few people recite miracles and say, oh, he's the one that, I was there when he multiplied the bread. Oh, I've got a cousin that he's related to Lazarus, raised from the dead. He's hearing all this, because they're there for hours. Then he hears Jesus say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you read that before? Psalm 22, do you ever wonder why Jesus said that? Go to in your Bibles if you haven't. Psalm 22. Did Jesus lose faith on the cross? <clears throat> no, Jesus was our high priest, and at the Passover, a high priest would read from the Psalms, and they'd often read from what they called the Messianic Psalms, the Psalms that prophesied the Messiah. And Psalm 22 is a Messianic Psalm, and the first verse is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did Jesus quote that verse verbatim? You know why? Because he wants to direct our attention to that chapter. Look at what it says later in that chapter. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaves to my jaw. Jesus said from the cross, I thirst. You have brought me to the dust for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you know, Jewish boys knew many of these psalms. And he thought about what is in the rest of that psalm. And it says, they pierced my hands and my feet. I can count my bones. They look and they stare. They divided my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. And that thief is thinking, I just saw them cast lots for his clothing. I see the mob surrounding him. I heard him say, I thirst. They pierced his hands and feet. And his mind is being illuminated by the Holy Spirit. He looks at the sign written above Jesus' head. It's in three different languages. And what does it say? This is the king of the Jews. How do you get that mixed up? And the Holy Spirit was able to teach him. He had a crash course on the cross about the Messiah. Maybe he remembered the, some of the words from Isaiah 53. As a lamb is brought before its shears, he opened not his mouth. He didn't see him defend himself during the trial. And it says, with his stripes we are healed. He saw the stripes on Jesus' back. He was flogged. 
And all of these things were going through his mind. And so then he looked to Jesus and he thought, that is the Savior. And you know, it was his only hope. It was the last thing. And he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's just incredible faith. He saw Christ lifted up as the spotless lamb. He repented and he confessed. He called out for forgiveness. He testified publicly. He believed the word of Jesus. He was crucified with Christ. And if we are crucified with Christ, that's the only way, really. Someone once said, only a crucified church is going to be able to take a crucified Christ to the world. All that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Sometimes folks... Um, Yeah, we get a lot of mail at Amazing Facts. And uh, most of it is very encouraging mail. Not all of it. Some is critical, and I have to honestly consider that criticism, and some of it's valid criticism, and I've had to write some letters of apology or maybe correct something I said. And, and um, some of it's just mean. I mean, I've had people write letters and just tell me I don't know how to dress. It's just a mean, just mean stuff. And it might be true, but you don't ever say that to people. But you know, it doesn't bother me that much. Because when you're dead, it, it's liberating. Uh, when you're crucified with Christ, it, it really does make a difference. I can go to bed at night in spite of all kinds of problems that are going on in the world because I just think, Lord, I'm just going to do the best I can to do your will from day to day and leave the results with you because you're my God and I'm your servant. And... Um, Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. That's what we do with Jesus. It's, it's the only way to find peace. Now, I, what a terrible marketing campaign. Say, follow me. Give up everything. Be crucified. Now, take that message to the world. Why? How do you... How's that supposed... You know, a lot of pastors are trying to change Jesus' marketing. They, 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 they say, find out what your community wants. Find out what the felt needs are. And then make your church into what people are looking for. If they want something more entertaining, make your service more entertaining. If they want uh, donuts and coffee, for, bring donuts and coffee. Find out what they want. It doesn't sound like when Jesus said... If any man would come after me, let him deny himself of what he wants. Daily, take up his cross and follow me. How come a message like that went around the world? Because it's the only way. Because Jesus said, even though it flies in the face of all of our logic, the only way you can live as a Christian is to die. You don't ever start living. You are under a death sentence until you are crucified with Christ. After that thief heard Jesus say, you will be with me in paradise, he felt peace come over his soul because even though his body was still hanging on the cross, his faith was now still hanging on the promises of God. That, you know, you can stand almost anything if you know it's not going to last and there's a good reward at the end. And when Jesus says, I am promising you, assuredly I say to you, a place in my kingdom, that thief was willing to hang everything on the Lord because he had lost everything. He couldn't plea his goodness. Taking up the cross. I was, uh, years ago, I was in a um, Kmart 
I don't go to Kmart anymore. I go to Walmart now. <laughs> and I was in a Kmart and, um, in Ukiah, California, and I saw a guy that had a Christian T-shirt, and so I'm always looking for a good excuse. If he's going to advertise, I'll take it as an open door. And so I talked to him for a minute, and he was a very interesting guy. He said, you know, I'm, I'm doing a, a mission. I've taken six months or something, and he says, I'm going around North America witnessing for Christ, and I'm carrying a cross down the road. I don't know if you've ever seen anyone do that before. And he started saying, you know, when I first did it, he said, I'm very committed to do it. He says, but I've got to tell you, when I first did it, I had a big wooden cross, and it was pretty heavy. And he said, I'd go down the road, and I didn't realize how quickly the asphalt was going to shave down the end of my cross. He said, I just totally wore down the end of my cross. It kept getting shorter and shorter every day. <laughs> he said, which, you know, in some ways made it a little lighter, he said, but I'd stop looking, started looking more like an X that was pointing straight up after a while. <laughs> and he said, so what I did is, he said, I, I got a wheel. And I put a wheel on my cross. He said, a lot, it's a lot easier to pull. And he said, he said, but then someone else gave me a tip. He said, you don't have to carry a heavy wooden one like that. He said, uh, I'm a fabricator. He says, come over to my shop. He says, I can, I can weld, and I know how to weld with aluminum, and I will make you an aluminum cross. He said, you just put wood contact paper on it. It'll look like a wooden cross. <laughs> and he said, that really made it easy. And he said, but I, you know, I did a lot of cross care, and I kept switching up shoulders, but I started getting a callus on my shoulder. And so he said, so I stopped somewhere else, and they built a pad for me on the cross. So he's... <laughs> I've got a padded cross made of aluminum with ball-bearing wheels. And, a, and I said, I'm going, I'm suffering for Jesus now. I'm going down the road. I picked up a hitchhiker one time. And uh, he saw the Bible on my dash. I don't remember how it came up, but somehow we, he discovered I was a Christian. And he said, I'm a Christian too. He said, see my cross? He said, I've actually got several crosses. And he started showing me. I didn't realize it until then. He was wearing a half a dozen different crosses. And I don't remember. He had all these kind of new age analogies for each cross he was wearing and what it represented. And I, and I didn't mean to offend him, but I finally said, now, does it say in the Bible, wear the cross or bear the cross? Yes. And this blank look came over his face. I said, you know, there's really no redeeming value in wearing a cross. That's easy. I said, are you bearing the cross? What does it mean to bear the cross? Christ said, you're going to be hated of all nations for my name's sake. He told us, you'll rejoice when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. It doesn't make sense, but Jesus said, if you would want to find your life, you must lose it. You must let it go. And if you seek to save your life, you're going to lose it. The only way you can live is by choosing to die. And you know, he that is dead is freed from sin. Do you struggle with sin? Did you catch that? Romans chapter 6. It's been in the Bible. You maybe missed it. It's been there for years. <laughs> he that is dead is freed from sin. I am crucified with Christ. You struggle with temptation? Have you, ever, you try it sometimes. Try and tempt a dead body. They get all kinds of victories. <laughs> temptation actually has very little appeal for them. And Paul said, I'm dead. This is really, you know, I'm, I'm making light because I'm trying to make a point and just as my nature, you know how I teach. But there's a point there that really the, the turning point for a Christian is to be crucified with Christ and to experience that. You know, Jesus, he came to earth 
to die for thieves. And we've all robbed God. I'm not even thinking of tithes and offerings, though there are plenty that have robbed him that way. I'm thinking about everything we have belongs to God. Our life, our time, we're stewards of all that he's given us, and we've been unfaithful. And the Bible tells us that um, as we surrender all that we have, realizing that there's no good thing in us, it is painful. You know what the big battle is? You can read this in Steps of Christ. The greatest battle is the battle against self, but it is the initial battle. It's that Garden of Gethsemane battle of praying, not my will, thy will be done. Now, I'm trusting many here have done that before, and you may have to do it more than once. Why do you think Paul said, I die daily? So when we're talking about being crucified with Christ, if you say, Pastor Doug, I was doing okay, and I'm struggling again. Ah, Got to be crucified with him often. But you don't stay dead. You need to be born again daily too. I am crucified with Christ, yet I live. If you're dying daily and you're not born again daily, then you're more dead than alive and you're not going to be any fun at all. Right? <laughs> so we need to say, Lord, I'm not going to live for myself every day. You renew that covenant with the Lord. I want to follow you. I want to be crucified with you. And he accepts us. You know, Jesus did not die on a cross in a church between two candles with a choir singing. Uh, when he died, it was, it was ugly. It was between thieves and Roman soldiers were cursing and people were spitting and there was blood and there were flies and vultures circling overhead and it was agonizing and people were crying and some people were laughing and, and uh, it wasn't pretty. You know, most births aren't pretty. I know they try to make it a lot better now, but sometimes there's a little crying and there's some blood and tears. And, and Mary Magdalene, she wept at Jesus' feet, but she experienced a total conversion and a joy and a liberation. And being crucified with Christ means confessing and repenting of our sins. What was the first thing out of John the Baptist's mouth when he started preaching? First word, repent. What's the first thing Jesus said? And at this time he began preaching, saying, same thing, repent. When they came to Peter and said, men and brethren, what shall we do? What did Peter say? Repent. Do you think that feels good? To acknowledge your sins, to humble yourself like that? It's actually painful. But why does God want us to repent? Because when we humble ourselves, when we are willing to be crucified with Christ, we get to raise with Jesus. At the resurrection, there was joy. And you rise with him. You're crucified with him. But that's what baptism represents. A death to self, a new birth, a new breath, a new life, a new ministry, a new power. And you're born again. You may need to renew that experience each day by humbling yourself, keeping short accounts with God, repenting of your sins. Don't hear too many sermons today about repentance. You don't hear too many sermons today that might be uncomfortable. But it's what the Bible teaches, friends. If we would be forgiven our sins, we must repent. We must confess our sins. I know you believe that in this group. And then you experience that new birth. You know, after Christ said, verily I say to you today, you'll be with me in paradise. I think you all understand he wasn't saying today you're going to be with me in paradise. Because Jesus didn't go to paradise that day. John chapter 21, Mary goes to worship him by his feet and he says, don't touch me, I've not yet ascended to my father. 
So the thief could not be with Jesus in paradise Friday afternoon if Jesus didn't go. He's saying, verily I say to you today, while I don't look like a Lord and I don't look like a king, because you have had faith in me, you will be with me in paradise. You may not be there today, but you will be there. And you know what's amazing to me is that even though Christ's hands were nailed to the cross, the greatest joy, you should read this chapter in the Desire of Ages, the greatest joy that came to Christ on the cross was that glimmer of hope. Christ came into the world to save sinners. And when a sinner called out to Jesus from the cross for salvation, that just refreshed his spirit that his sacrifice was not in vain. And the devil could nail his hands to the cross, but he couldn't keep the Savior from saving people. And Jesus couldn't reach out and touch him, but by the power of his word, he transformed him. And that thief is going to be in the resurrection of the just because he accepted by faith the promise of the Lord and he was crucified with Christ. Jesus was just a prayer away, and he is today for each one of you. But it'll mean, it'll mean doing what that thief did, saying, I am willing to deny myself. We're all inclined to selfishness and sin. But if you really want joy, you've got to say no to self and yes to God. It is more blessed to give than receive. You know where that begins? With your heart. If you want to be blessed, give your heart away to God. He will clean it up and give you a new heart. He gives it back to you better, and that's you'll have joy and peace. The devil can torture your body. Jesus said, don't fear him who could torture your body, but he can't take what I'm going to give you that's in your soul. He'll give you eternal life and joy and a purpose that nothing can rob you of. And he wants everyone here to have that. I believe the Lord brought you here tonight. He wants you to experience that new birth. Being a witness for the Lord, making a difference in your church, in your community, having healing in your relationships, where you work, in your family. It all begins with denying yourself, taking up your cross, following Jesus. It's my prayer now, and I trust it's the prayer of many of you that we could have that experience and say, Lord, not I but Christ. I am crucified with Christ, yet I live. And the new life that I now live, I live by the faith. Don't you want to live by faith, friends? The faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. If there was no one else in the world, Jesus loves you so much that what I saw there in San Fernando a year and a half ago, someone would have gone through that just for me. They would have been crucified. It wasn't stainless steel, sterilized nails. It was all the suffering for all the sins that you have ever committed were all concentrated and coalesced in those moments on the cross. If you can think of all the things you've ever done wrong and try and melt that down into one dose, Jesus embraced all of that. He took your sin. And then he said, now if you love me, I'm offering you eternal life. I'm taking your badness. I'm giving you my goodness. I'll take your death. I'll give you my life. But you got to trust me. And if any man would come up and follow me, it costs all. Like that merchant that found the treasure in the field, he sold all he had to get it. Or the pearl of great price, he sold all that he had to get it. Christ said, if you're not willing to forsake all, you're not worthy to be my disciple. That's what it means to take up your cross. Who deserves all? Wouldn't it be God, the one that made us? Is it unreasonable if he says, you give me all? Steps to Christ. What do we give up when we give all? A sin-polluted heart for him to cleanse? 
all of the misery and trouble and the tangled mess we've made out of our lives. And she said, I'm ashamed to write it. I'm ashamed to think it. We're not giving up anything when we give all to Jesus. We're giving up something. He's going to clean our lives and give us a new heart. You've got everything to gain by really meaning business and turning to him, repenting of your sins, accepting him, and then he'll give you a power to be a new creature. Would you like that power? Would you like that peace and purpose tonight? If that's your desire, would you stand in his presence and we'll close with prayer and ask him for that? Lord, this is the axle that the gospel revolves upon. It's a cross. We know that Jesus, as he told Nathaniel, hereafter you will see the Son of Man lifted up and angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Lord, we believe the cross that you built is the bridge that connects heaven and earth. And you've invited us to follow you. What a privilege. Help us to be willing to do whatever it takes, Lord. Through the Holy Spirit work in our hearts right now, help us to do what that thief did and just to call out in faith, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You are our Lord and you are our King and we surrender all to you. What have we got to, to lose? We're perishing. Lord, save us. I pray you'll do that for each person. Give us the spiritual strength now to put that into practice and that to spend time with you in your word and fellowship and prayer that our faith may grow strong. Bless the convocation. Just thank you again for the Sabbath we've enjoyed. Be with us through the meetings ahead and the week before us. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.